Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I felt like I just ripped everyone off so bad because they didn't get the best of me. And so my goal is that every single person who've purchased a ticket they deserve the best of what i do so the only way i can do that is to look after myself that is singer songwriter and producer guy sebastian and this is episode 237 of the osher ginsburg podcast Welcome to the Osher Ginsburg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsburg. I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for coming. This is episode 237 with a superstar of Australian music, Guy Sebastian. He's on Twitter and Instagram at Guy Sebastian. G-U-Y-S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N. Guy Sebastian is heading out around the country on his then and now a 2018 tour. You can buy tickets right now, guysebastian.com. He's got a very centralised social media and internet presence, so, man, everything's just called Guy Sebastian. It's good. But I guarantee you, look, after this conversation, after what you're about to hear, you'll want to spend an evening with Guy and his band. So make your plans, get a babysitter. If you haven't been to a gig in a long time, go see the Guy Sebastian show. Because once you listen to this, you'll be like, oh, we're friends. I know that guy. I'll go see him. If this is your first episode of the show, welcome. Hi, I'm Osher. 
I work in TV in Australia. I used to work in radio. I'm about to be a published author. And in Australia, sometimes I'm on the telly. Uh, I count roses a little later in the year. A couple of weeks from now, I'm going to start on the rose counting. I deliver date cards on a show called The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, sometimes Bachelor in Paradise. It's a great gig. I'm very lucky to do it. I'm busy making it at the moment, but you won't see it for, for a couple more weeks. When I'm not working on telly, though, every Monday for the last 236 Mondays, in a row. I've been here in your phone or your eye or your tablet or your laptop or the back of a seat if you're on a Qantas or Jetstar plane. Um, I've been here every Monday having a conversation that you get to be a part of with someone that you may know or someone that you may not know. But each week I guarantee that you'll hear something that'll resonate and I guarantee you'll hear something you need to hear. I guarantee it. And definitely I'll guarantee you'll hear something that will make today a little better than yesterday. You got my word on that guarantee. You can you email me. Email me if you, if if I failed you. All right, because that's really it about making today better than yesterday. That is what it is about to be a human. Otherwise, we'd all still be chasing antelopes around the savanna, wouldn't we? We just want to make today a little better than yesterday as human beings. Sometimes we forget that we have that capacity. I just wanted to remind you something that shut you today. You can do something about it. If you can't do something about it, you can do something about how you feel about it. That's our superpower as people. It's great. I have to work very hard to remind myself of that on a daily basis, but it's still a superpower. Thank you very much to everybody that reached out and spread the word about the Todd Sampson episode. What an epic it was. He's incredible. Body hacked it incredibly on Thursday night. Check it out again on this Thursday. Uh, it's an amazing show. He's an incredible guy. Well worth a second listen if you haven't listened to it twice. It is, and so many people shared that show, and it is a massive help when you share this podcast. Just on the app you're listening to this on, just hit share and text it out to someone. You could screenshot it. You could share it on Instagram. You could put it out on Facebook. I All the time at dinner, people ask me what a podcast is. Uh, at a dinner, I'll pick up their phone. I'll download a podcast app. I'll show them how to download podcasts and hand the phone back and go, there you go. I just changed your life. Uh, whatever can, whatever works for you, uh, not my podcast, obviously. I download other people's podcasts. Um, whatever works for you, I'd really appreciate it if you could share this show because, like, honestly, if I think about it, if everyone listening told another person and they all started listening, then I'd double my download numbers. And, you know, that's not going to happen, but it'd be amazing. Uh, but the fact is that the more downloads that you have, the better guests that you get access to, particularly with high-profile guests who have very limited calendars and they want to be sure they use the you know their time wisely. Uh, and th- that means that the better shows you get to hear and the people that you recommend are the show to, they'll get to hear better shows. And they'll go, damn, that's a good podcast you put me on to. And you go, yeah, I know. Thank you so much. Unreal. So you win in two separate ways. If you do want to support the show in a more significant way, you can always throw a few shekels our way, patreon.com slash osher. Thank you very much to the people that threw some bucks our way this week. Some people put a dollar, some people put $5, whatever you can. It would really, really help. Podcasts are free to listen to, but they are not free to make. I need to pay Andy, my audio producer, and Hale my show producer, I have to pay them. So every every single bit helps um, for me to get you the shows each and every Monday because I can promise you that a man as busy as Guy Sebastian doesn't just show up to your house on a whim. It takes Olympic-level calendar coordination, and Haley, my producer, is a gun at that. So help, thank you for helping me help Haley pay her rent. Help Haley pay her rent. <laughs> Haley. 
Uh, you can always email me, send us your email at gmail.com. Thanks to everybody that sent in a receipt of the book. Uh, you can pre-order the book right now through the bio in my Instagram, link in my Instagram bio. Um, I'm working hard to get you the special thank you gifts that I promised. I, I get a couple done every day. It does take a little time to send those out. So thank you very much for your patience. They are coming. They are coming. Cheers for all the podsies this week. A podsy is a picture of what you're looking at when you're listening to my voice right now. You are probably listening to this on a device that takes a photograph, unless it's the back of an aeroplane seat. Then I'd be very surprised if it takes a photograph. But other than that, you're probably listening to this on a device that takes a photograph. So just shoot a photo of what it is you're looking at and email it to me or tag me. Send us your email at gmail.com or put it in Instagram or whatever. We get to enjoy this incredible world together. When you listen to the podcast as you take me around on your adventures, it's exciting. I love sharing that stuff. Thanks to everybody that reached out about last week's show and, and also the stuff I talked about before the interview with Todd. Because if this is your first show, you're kind of wondering, or you're probably listening. You're listening because Guy Sebastian's here. And you might be listening because I kind of might remind you of maybe a dark-haired version of the bloke that helped find him on Australian Idol. Maybe there's something familiar there, but you can't figure it out. But what you might know about me is that I, like many, many people in the world, I have a different brain. I have a brain that over my life has been prone to such things as generalized anxiety, social phobia, PTSD, OCD, even a brief and terrifying adventure into the world of psychosis, which I do not recommend at all. Uh, So each week, I'm feeling a lot better now. I work hard to try and feel better, and I work out every day to stay better. But each week I like to talk about what's going on with me in the hope that the more frank and not-so-scary conversations around mental illness that are heard in our community, the more that they will happen and the more people will get help because life's too short to go through it in pain, and life is too precious and too joyous to go through it gritting your teeth or self-medicating just to get by. So I'm just trying to get people used to the idea of these kind of conversations happening as a matter of fact way, you know, and go, oh, that's just a conversation about what's going on. And nothing but nothing makes me happier than when I get emails. And I get them every day. I do. I get emails about people who've gone to get help after listening to this show. Or they see discussions happening in the Facebook group that uh, we've just started where, you know, people are just supportive and, and open with each other and they go out and they take action. They take control of what's happening in their head. I, f- I love it. It makes me so happy. A big hello to everyone in the Facebook group, by the way. I'm really enjoying the conversations that we are having there. Just search for the Osher Ginsberg podcast in Facebook, answer a couple of questions, and you're in. It's ace. I'm loving it. It's good to be a part of it. So to check in with you this week, I've noticed – this is now this is going to be an interesting one, all right? It may resonate with you. I've noticed that I'm knocking over a lot of things. Let me explain. I've always been clumsy. However, I've been knocking over a lot of things, bumping myself, hurting myself on corners, walking into doors, breaking things accidentally, things like that. Now, you might think, so what? You drop stuff. But I know that when I do that sort of thing, it's a sign for me to watch out because it means that I'm not being present. It means that my mind is elsewhere than where I am and not with what I'm doing or who I'm with. When I'm stuck in my head and I'm lost in whatever my brain's making up, it can sometimes be a difficult place for me. And when I'm not present in a situation, not plugged into the facts of the reality that I'm in, I can invent all kinds of reasons for things happening or not happening, reasons why people are being the way they are. And that's that's not fair on anyone involved. It could be something as simple as um, washing a glass, all right? 
taking it out of the soapy water, going to rinse it, and then knocking it on the edge of the sink. So you might think, so what? But it's the manual dexterity equivalent of a running over the bumpy things in the middle of the road that go under your car and, you, and your passenger goes, hey, dude, and you go, oh, sorry, shit. The part between the lanes, right? Because it means that I'm not paying attention to where I am in space, where the objects that I'm holding start and finish. And that is a sign for me that my mind's being busy, right? Furiously thinking about 17 things at once. Most of them things in the future. Most of them problems, really scary ones that I'm imagining and solutions to the problems that I'm then imagining. And then what could possibly go wrong if I don't get those imaginary solutions to the imaginary problems started right now? None of those things are actually happening. However, it is taking up, it takes up an enormous amount of mental bandwidth. And ultimately, it leaves me feeling disconnected because it's quite clear to the people that I'm with that my mind is elsewhere. And that's not a great feeling for anyone that's spending time with me. And now, I know it sounds like a lot to read into me being clumsy, but I had to sit down and really think about it because it has been increasing in the last couple of days, weeks. I had to think about why am I bumping stuff? Why am I dropping things? Why am I breaking things more than I usually do this week? Anyway, and that's the answer I came to. This week, I'm going to try and take extra care to be in the room, concentrating on my spatial awareness when I'm moving myself and, and, and things from one place to another. Because if I do that, then I'll be more present. I'll be in the room and I won't be in an imaginary future full of worry and really creative solutions that I'm trying to think of to those worries. Or I can do all that just by paying attention while I do the dishes. Not a bad solution, is it? Also, the dishes get done, which I love to do. I find doing the dishes very calming. I put on classical music and do the dishes. It's really nice. It's a nice way to end my night. Does that, res- does that resonate with you? Does that make sense? Does... What have you tried that works if you've noticed something similar? I'd love to know your thoughts. You can drop, drop me a note in the Facebook group, actually, um, or you can email me, sandosheremail at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's to give you an idea. That's kind of what the book's about, to be honest. You can, you can pre-order the book in the link in my Instagram bio. But if you do, email me the receipt and I'll, I'll send you a little something to say thanks. Um, so look, now that, now that you're settled in, now that you're here, now that we're, you know, 10 minutes, 12 minutes in and you're definitely on, on the road on your commute or you're well into the work you're doing around the house or you're committed to the workout you've begun, begun. Let's get to it. Let's get to my guest today which I am so, so happy about. Guy Sebastian is a singer, songwriter, and producer from Sydney, Australia. He is on Instagram and Twitter at Guy Sebastian, G-U-Y-S-E-B-A-S-T-I-A-N. Guy Sebastian is the first winner of Australian Idol from back in 2003. He and I have known each other for most of our careers. We've had interviews along the way, sure, you know, when he would come into Channel V or we'd pop in on the radio. But he and I have never spoken like we speak today. We, we speak, we've spoken like this before, but just never on a microphone, all right? He and I, obviously, we've spent a lot of time with each other and we've connected on, over the years, um, but we've never spoken like we speak today. Guy Sebastian has an incredible voice and he is a very, very successful recording artist in Australia because he works harder than almost anyone. 
But you're going to hear a lot more about Guy Sebastian today. Because along the way, Guy has had his struggles. And in this conversation, he and I unlock a massive catalyst for change that happened with Guy, and it only happened in the last 18 months. To put it simply, daily physical exercise changed his life. I'll let him talk you through it. However, the way he describes how hitting the gym every day has changed the way he works, how he thinks, and how he feels, how it changed so many things outside of the gym, not just with him and his physicality. Well, I related it so, I related so much because it's been my experience too, and it's been what I've been sharing with you over the last few weeks. Guy is a very deep soul. He's a kind man, and he's a man who feels great empathy and love for his life, for his family, and for those who enjoy his music. He spent a couple of hours in my apartment, and we could have chatted all afternoon. However, I think in this one, we really unlock a few a few of the keys to what makes Guy Sebastian one of the greatest performers our country has ever seen. He's a complete inspiration to me. After this conversation, I was just left absolutely moved and just full of beans and ready to go. I hope you get the same feeling when this conversation is over that I had when Guy left my house. A feeling of elation and a desire to go and move your body. Guy is touring around the country in the next few weeks. Tickets are available at guysebastian.com. Go check him out. I'm telling you, you got to go. If you've ever seen him live, actually, if you've never seen him live, if you've never seen him live, after this conversation, you'll want to spend a night with him just to go, hey, I know you. I just, I feel like I know you. I heard you on the show and now we're friends and here I am singing your songs with you. It'll be great. It's, he's a very special human. And it's well worth the time just to go and breathe the same air as him. So please, let him know that you heard him on this show. If, if it resonates with you, he'll get a kick out of it. And enjoy this long overdue conversation with Guy Sebastian. Good morning, Guy. Good morning. Thanks for being here, man. Pleasure. I'm Thank glad you. you're here. It's good to have you in our kitchen. I love being here. You've got a cracking view. It's You've a- made me like a special coffee, very fancy coffee. You weighed the coffee beans. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's it's all about controlling. It's like life, Guy. Yeah. You control the variables within your control uh-huh. and everything else is, you know, you just have to accept. Are you fairly meticulous in general? No. No, I'm not. No. Not at all. You'll notice my wife did a double take there. She did a, in fact, Audrey's in the kitchen making breakfast. She nearly fell off her feet. I'm not meticulous at all, no. But when it comes to getting great coffee in the morning, yeah. what are the variables I can control? I can control how much, how many coffee grounds go in there. Uh-huh. Uh, I can control how long I draw the coffee for. Yeah. I can control the kind of beans. I can control the, the, the grind. Mm. So you they, probably felt a bit of pressure because I walked in as well and I was – immediately talking about how much of a coffee snob I am and that I've got a, mach- a flash machine at home as well. <laughs> Mate, if you're a coffee snob, I'm on board. Uh-huh. I'm on board. You've, you've got just been served some breakfast there, so I don't uh, don't don't oh, hesitate to good. dig in there. Oh, that looks really no, good. No, get no, right in. No, have a bite. Have oh, a bite. Right. Um, so uh, I'm, just, I'm grateful you're here. You know, we've been a, a big part of each other's uh, lives and, and careers. We both mm-hmm. played – you played an enormous role in, in my – my you life played and, a huge part in mine, my yeah, gosh. yeah. When I and you know, it's so it's, it's really nice to sit down and, and and talk about. But um, you and I crossed paths, and I was really kind of, I was quite inspired by the physical transformation that you you'd been under, yeah. and um, 
you know, when I came off medication, I was looking for, you know, something um, to to put in the place where the medication was. And I've mm. since and I've since undertaken a, like a pretty rigorous, um, you know, f- physical training regimen, which I've I've been really really enjoying. Yeah, um, well, I've, I've seen the. Yeah, we cross paths at the gym every. We cross paths at the gym every every now and again. Every time I see you, you're just that little bit more chiseled. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I guess you know. It, it, obviously, we're influenced by many things around us, but having seen you and seen your journey, and and knowing your mum, your family, knowing the 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 relationship that you and your family have to food. I found it. Mm. I remember early when we first met, we we talked a lot about that sort of thing, and it felt felt very familiar to me. And that you know, the the food equals love is a part yeah, of the family it's, it's gathering. It's, it's, yeah, you know, and redefining my relationship to food and hunger has been a big mm. part of of what I'm what I'm doing. Did you find that when you were doing your your work on on yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it was an addiction, really. Really? Yeah, I think so. And and probably a bit of an obsession as well because I, I sort of, you know, I, I, I don't think men talk about weight issues very often as well. Like I, I um, you know, my background, I guess, is, is one, I always wanted to get into music. I always wanted to be in the industry in some capacity. And, and um, I guess for me, I... You know, when I first started music, I, I I started at a quite a superficial time in the industry. You know, it was all about image, and and especially in the pop sphere, it was you know you had like your NSYNCs and Backstreet Boys and Britney and Jessica Simpsons and Christina, and everyone was very image focused. And um, and you know, one thing I'm I'm really grateful to you know for well for, for from Idol is it really smashed a lot of stereotypes and. And I, I guess one of those was convenient for me. You know, I came in at a good time where it was kind of the start of where, where the curve turned and, and it became about talent again, you know, it became more focused on the actual gift. But, you know, in saying that, before I auditioned for Idol, I did the whole, you know, demo thing, took it to labels and the, the thing that kept coming back was love your voice um, but you don't have the look and, you know, or you're a bit overweight or, or, um, but, but it was generally that, that you, you always, always, I didn't have the look. And so I was a bit defeated by it, you know, like I, I, um, I sort of, you know, went back to Adelaide, uh, you know, after doing this trip to Melbourne that I saved up for and, you know, handing my tracks to these record companies, I came back with, you know, yeah, tail between my legs and thought, well, at the end of the day, I can get better at singing, but I can't change the way I look. So maybe I'll just be a producer or something. And, and at that stage, I'd just quit uni. And uh, so I guess I was just lacking direction. And then my weight and stuff and my image became the thing that I sort of blamed it on as well. I thought, well, that's holding me back and it's not fair. Like I can't change the way I look and blah, blah, blah. And so then along came Idol, I came Idol and, and I'm even in the auditions, I was there with Jules who I'm, you know, still with. And, and, um, I kept saying to her, look how good looking that person is, or look at that person. Look how, look how fit they are, or look how good looking they are. They've got the look. I don't have it. What am I doing here? And, and, uh, you know, you've come up and, and interviewed me at, at this one point And, um, and then I ended up, yeah, getting through and kept getting through and kept getting through and it, it very much became about the singing voice. 
how did that make you feel after? I mean, I had no idea that you'd done that in Melbourne. Mm, that yeah. you'd tell, can you can you like let's just just paint that picture that we were at the I don't think it's there anymore. Some hotel in Adelaide, this, yeah, in, Intercontinental or, or something yeah, like North Adelaide, something like that in North yeah. Adelaide, just above the uh, the Oval there, mm-hmm. and it was a big ballroom. Everyone was waiting to go and audition for the for the judges. Um, there was uh, – no, it wasn't Judges Day. It was just Producers Day. Just Producers. And there it was, was like a circus. Yeah, there was. There was yeah. a grand piano. Oh, yes. There was a grand piano. And I remember I, I had a, a three-chip, an old-school three-chip uh, video camera because we were shooting a behind-the-scenes show for Channel V and I needed to go and you know, interview some people because like, we have to get content because we've got to make this behind-the-scenes show as part of our deal Channel V lending me and James out for Idol. It was like we had a behind-the-scenes <laughs> yeah, right. show to make so I had wow. to run around and start filming interviewing people. And I remember you were sitting with your back to a grand piano, you were enjoying some lunch, and there were like three or four of these super chiseled, mega jawed, yeah. abs ahoy, like trapezoidal shaped dancing guys yeah. on the grand piano all harmonizing and stuff together. Mm. I remember looking at them going, bloody hell, those guys look like they spend more time in the gym than in you know, yeah. rehearsal studios. Jesus. Yeah, and it was very daunting for me. Yeah, yeah. Because they, to me, represented the key. They had yeah. the keys to, yeah. the, to get into the industry. Yeah. yeah, and then you know, I you know, I rolled tape and I you know, I walked up to you and we had a conversation about those guys and and that and that was it. You yeah. know, we, we kept going. So as you went uh, further and further through the process, and no one said anything about your image or your mm. your weight, did what did that do to your self belief? Well, it, uh, I guess it sort of you know it's funny because the uh, the first. You only remember the negativity, you know, like my first audition, Marsha said, I had the best voice she's heard so far. And, and Mark said something about, you know, it being a gift. And then, and then Dicko said, yeah, but you look like crap. So I, I walked away from there going, I look like crap. Like, and, uh, you know, and I like, you know, I, I was wearing this op shop jacket and this is, you know, the, oh, I had terrible fashion sense. And, and, uh, but, but that to me, that one comment, even though I got through, I went, this is, that's going to be the hurdle, my, my, my appearance. That's going to, that's going to be the thing that stops me again, you know, like, and yeah, I'll get through on my voice, but ultimately that'll be the thing. So it, it, even though I was getting through, I still had this thing that, yeah, nah. And, you know, so, after winning, you would think that would give me some level of, of confidence and all that sort of stuff. But I guess the, uh, the comments never stopped about weight. And, and a lot of the times they were positive, to be honest, because I think TV, as um, everyone says, it adds some pounds to sure you. Does. So, so in, in public, I, everyone would comment on my weight. Every day, I'm talking every day that I was in public, someone would say, and multiple times a day, Oh, you're so much skinnier in real life. I thought you'd be a lot bigger. I'd rock up to photo shoots. There was 38 waist jeans. I was a 31, 32. So I think I just looked a lot fatter on TV. So when people said you're a lot skinnier, I didn't take it as a compliment. I took it as, you know, you look fat on TV. <laughs> so- isn't, isn't that funny how our brains can distort and listen to only the thing 
that reinforces the negative view we have of yeah, ourselves. Our insecurities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His, you know, and it's a perfect example. Three judges, one, two, three, two positive comments, one negative comment. Let's be honest, four showbiz because we're making a TV show yeah, and yeah, exactly. his job on the show was to be the one. He was that the record company he was guy. The, he was the guy that says the thing to knock the people down a peg. Yeah. That was his role. That was his character. That's the a- role he was playing. Absolutely. And that's where he was coming from when he said yeah. it. And, and, and I'm closest to Dicko yeah. as well out of that whole process. I I just love that guy. But that's He's, the only thing you remember, you know. That's that's the thing that, that negative defines thing. us, you yeah. know. And, and, and it's interesting, like, people will say, you're skinny. God, look at you. You're so skinny. Yeah. Our brains goes, I must look fat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do they actually mean, you know? <laughs> isn't that, isn't so. that just wild that until we adjust our personal perceptions of ourselves, it doesn't matter what the input is, we'll find mm. a way to filter it so it fits our yeah, perspective. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's also um, as you get older, you, you, you tend to be a little wiser about how you – you view that relationship, you know, and, and, and that was now when I talk about it, I can see that it, it was so much more than just appearance. It, it was a representation of failure for me. So, so I look back and I go, well, that was the thing that that's, you know, stopped me from doing what I thought I was meant to do. And, yeah. and uh, so it, it, it not only was a physical thing of, of insecurity and, and all that, but it also lumped into that was that, my appearance and my weight and things like that was the thing that was going to stump me for life. But, but it, it you know, I think you, you sort of grow out of that and, and um, you know, I, I, I never would have thought I'd see myself on a men's health cover. You know, back in those days thinking of myself as a, you know, sort of little chubby, um, you know, gremlin sort of looking kid. You always <laughs> describe yourself like that. Those words you would describe yourself a lot, I remember. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. So so it was yeah it was a pretty um, incredible thing and, and 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 a lot of people look at people in the public eye and they think oh they must be on some magic supplement or some um you know some sort of I don't know like injecting themselves with some right. sort of steroid or something and um but literally like all all I've had is protein powder and some creatine <laughs> that, that I was given. And, so, yeah. and, and it's even harder for you with being, well, being a vegan. Well, no, it's actually really know, easy, to be honest. Being vegan, it's, it's no – it's like you only – you know, and I'm – you know, we uh, – uh, I get right into the science of it all because yeah. I'm kind of really fascinated with how my body works. And uh, a buddy of mine, Ruben Meerman, who's been on the show a couple of times, wrote a whole book about when you lose weight, where does it go? Mm. Do you know? Yeah, no. If you lost 10 kilograms, do you know where that 10 kilograms goes? Yeah, no. No idea. 8.4 kilograms of that, 10 kilograms of fat, I believe it's 8.4, you breathe out. Every exhalation is heavier than every inhalation because you're breathing out carbon dioxide. Those carbon atoms used to be fat. Really? Yep. You breathe it out. That's true. That's That's where you lose weight. That's how you lose weight. You lose weight. Your lungs is where you lose fat. You're going to find me on the street later just passed out from hyperventilating. <laughs> but I'm just going, <laughs> you've got to get yourself to a point. You've got to get yourself to a point where you are on the floor of the gym. I'll just be mm. down here. I'll be, just give me 10 seconds. I can't stand up right now. Yeah. <laughs> but, but to their credit, when I first started training, you know, my trainers were – so um, they paced it so well that training didn't become this – 
a huge thing in my brain that was going to make me feel sick yeah. all the time. So they eased me into that. But then when they felt I was ready on a fitness level, they pushed me to this point where now I almost look at people in the gym and I think, come on, man, like, dude, you can – like you could do what you're doing in in 15 minutes, you know, but you're taking two hours because you're on Insta between sets and you're only doing weights or whatever. Now, now I know what it takes to mm. train like that. It doesn't bother me anymore. And yeah. I think that was the key for me is I got to a position where I realized how I need to train to see results. Yeah. So anything less was just a bit of a waste of time. I, I agree. And, and um, I've noticed that. Uh, you know exactly that I see other people training in the gym and they'll get on Instagram or WhatsApp or whatever and I will look at them and I'll do two sets in between their one I'm Mm -hmm. like you've just lost all the advantage of having your heart rate at where it was you're losing all the intensity you're actually why are you even like you are not doing yourself any favours in fact you probably might injure yourself because now your muscles are cooler again the blood's not where it should should be you're not giving yourself the best chance you know and and you're right no one wants to sit in the stinky gym for hours every day no exactly just get it done get in get out make it happen and you can do it in half an hour I mean listen to us we're talking like you know like We would never have talked like this never. a little while ago. But, you know, and exactly right. Like, if I don't have much time, I've got some kettlebells here at the at the apartment. If I don't have much time, like, on Monday, I had no time at all. So, I just did every minute. I set a timer on my phone. Every minute, I did 20 two-handed kettlebell swings. Wow. And every other minute, I did 10 push-ups. So, in 20 minutes, I did 200 20 kilogram kettlebell swings yeah. and 100 push ups, and I'm done for the day. That's amazing. And at the whole day, I was like, you know, when you're driving and you hit the indicator, you're like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt I it. it. Yeah. And it's good. Oh, you get yeah. that feeling of like, yeah, I did it, I got it done. Yeah. But well, it's, I've, I've got this thing called Interval Timer. I think it was a, a free, yeah, I've got free one app. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's awesome. I think that's, the, that's one of the big things I learned is that you just, if you work to a, a, a kind of a you know the the HIIT the yeah. training if you work to an interval um, sort of program Frankie honey he's licking your oh. dinner he's licking your lunch <laughs> that corner that corner's had dog lick <laughs> yeah sorry if you work to an interval timer yeah I, I find like if I work to a little program like a, using this little app you just I don't know it, it, it's it's almost like when I don't have a my trainer that yeah. this thing is is my ass kicking thing it'll just yeah. rip me because it, it's it's going i can't stop that little beep 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 from going off and if i don't start i'm only screwing myself but yeah free app and then you just sort of write i don't know it, it's yeah. fun getting a trainer because now i just write my own little programs tell me about how it changed your doing doing the work you did because it was about a year ago now wasn't it yeah tell me how your relationship to food was before you started that? Um, yeah, look, it was pretty unhealthy. I, I feel like I made changes and I lost a bit of weight and it was pretty noticeable to, to a lot of people who knew me. That I was I was a bit chubbier and then suddenly I lost some weight and, and um, you know, I went on the X Factor as a judge and, and I, of course, was looked at it again on TV. So, so I, I cut carbs out for the most part, like I did, I stopped sort of eating big pasta meals and rice meals and pizza and things like that. And, um, I did drop some weight, but I hit this wall. I just couldn't get fit. Like like I couldn't get really fit. And so it's, it's, it's strange what I thought 
was a good diet was just an okay diet. It was kind of just a normal diet, but my portions were still big. And, uh, and it was the little things I didn't notice that would add up. So, um, what, um, you know, the, uh, and the nutritionist who, who, who was helping me, what she said to me was like, just write down everything that you eat and you'll see how much it adds up. And then, um, I think about my coffees and I'll throw two, I used to throw two sugars in my coffee that I'd have four or five a day. So you add that up, you know, you add up some, a bit of soda here and there, you know, and then even things like sushi train, like how much rice, they're only little small parcels, but then you add that up. So I was doing little bits of cheating here and there, but then in my big meals, I, I wouldn't have rice with it or something and think, oh yeah, you're doing a great job. But, um, it was the little things that added up for me. Yeah. And when I cut those things out, it, it, it made a world of difference. I mean, I, I, I saw abs, which I haven't seen since I was a young boy playing AFL. Um, I saw abs in four or five weeks. And there was a thick layer above those abs. And so whatever those guys did, it worked. You know, it was cutting out all those little cheap meals and those little things, but also tons of cardio mixed with weight. So I think that combo just smashed the fat off me. But you you mentioned uh, that there was like almost an addictive relationship to food. Yeah, it was. I mean, I I think for me it was also a – it was, I guess it was something I could control in my life, you know, I might, being on tour and, and, you know, having a pretty, you know, pretty, I guess, crazy schedule that was ever-changing. Food was something that I just, you know, no one could tell me what to do with it. And that, that's what the big thing was for me when I, when I, I realised how much power it had over me when suddenly I had to rein it in and, 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 and it was a controlled thing. You know, I had to have control over that. And it was, it was really hard. That was really tough. Like I said, Jules was cool. Was like two weeks. She was like, oh yeah, I'm all right with it. I'm used to it. But yeah, five or six weeks it took me. And, um, and now it just doesn't have the same sting on me. Like it doesn't have power. I, I'll see something unhealthy and, and I'll go, no, I can say no to it now. And, and I think it, when you can overcome little things like that in your life, even if it's just food, it sets you up for the other little battles you have. And 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 same as training, it literally changed my life, you know. And 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 my life has changed a lot since. I've made huge changes in in my life, and uh, on a career level, on a um, you know just on a discipline level, and and uh, you know it, it very much cleared my head. In, in many ways, and, and you know, I started the day overcoming things and 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 doing things I thought I wasn't able to do, and pushing myself further than I thought I could go. So you start your morning like that. Suddenly, things that come during the day that just don't seem as big. You don't procrastinate as much. You you can categorize your tasks for the day. I don't know. It sort of it lined everything up for me, and and it also made me way less lazy. I think in general. And, and so things that I was probably happy to let go or let someone else control in the, in the past, suddenly I th- that became very irresponsible to me and, and uh, I needed to regain. If I could control that, I can control that now. I, I can control the rest of my life as well and not in a overthinking, over-analytical way but just in a responsible way, things that I should have had control of. For a long time I was happy 
living a bit in bliss. But so so it's funny, and 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 I know we've chatted about it personally, just how much effect it has on you know on your mind. But but the training thing is it's turned my life around. So you're just to kind of you know make sure I'm hearing you right, like because I had a similar experience when you mm. if you manage to do some resistance training in the morning, and it could just be push ups, it could just be air squats, it could just be you know yeah. you going for a walk a little further than you ever would have walked before. Mm. When you've done this thing that you're like, this is a tiny little challenge, all right? I, I lifted eight kilos last week. I'm going to do nine this week. Yeah. This is a tiny little challenge. I've overcome that. The message you've sent to your brain is just push. Just yeah. push a little harder. It's only another 10% mm. and boom, now you're somewhere you've never been. Yeah. And then through the rest of the day, your brain goes, it's okay, we'll just push. Yeah, we know exactly. we did this this morning. Yeah. We just do this now. Exactly. Even though now I'm here talking to my accountant or I'm here talking at the you know RTA trying to get my license or yeah. you know I'm in, at the Coles trying to wait for a checkout. Yeah. You know, just 10% more. And here, here we are. Yeah. So you're saying that just by training your brain to push that little harder to the other side of where you were comfortable yeah. that you now have this kind of different way of, of operating. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's and not, not only push but it's also don't bail. So you know what it's like when you've got these intervals to do and you get to four and you start to feel it and you go, that's, that's enough. That, I mean, I'm sure you think that as well. But in my brain, I'm going, I, I could stop. I, like, that was pretty good. I, I, I should just stop. Like, I've, today's not the day. Like, today's not the day. Just four's still good. It's still good. But then something kicks in and, go, and says, dude, like, come on. Like, just get to the five. Like, just do it. Just do it. And then you just do it. And then, so you're right. You might be in, in a meeting or something. And, you know, when you get to that fatigue point and you just, you want it to be over and we're creative. So so we do have shorter attention spans at times. And, and there's times where I want to bail. I'm like, you know, like today I was telling you I've got to go and do put together a whole bunch of tracks and stuff that I'm running for my tour. It's very tedious. It's like, you know, trying to develop a soundscape for that supports the band doing click track for everyone. It's kind of, it's so boring. And, but I, but I know I'll have moments where I've just got to get it done and got to push. And, and so, yeah, it definitely extends into the rest of your day. It's little victories, but it's also, you know, it's like, it's like when, <laughs> I'm right into golf right now, right? So it's all about muscle memory. You, when you're out in the golf, on the golf course, you generally you'd want to switch your brain off a little bit because you you sort of do you, you you work on your swing and your driving range, you know. And and then when you're in life, you're hoping that the muscle memory will kick in. And and so it's it's these little subliminal things that you're telling yourself in the morning. It kicks in without you even knowing during the day. Isn't that isn't that fascinating that our brains are able to like in the same way that the same brain that will only hear the negative thing that we talked about before, yeah. in the same way the brain goes, no, it's okay, I know, I know, I know that don't bail mm. and just push that little harder because when I do, then I get this great feeling. Yeah. Then I get this great feeling. So just find that great that I, What I want is the great feeling. Yeah. And to get the great feeling, I just push that 7%, 8% harder, maybe not even 10% harder yeah. than I did last time. Oh, here I am. Yeah, Look at exactly. us. Now I've got the great feeling. <laughs> yeah. And then after you do that for long enough, then you see the results. Yeah. But that's the labor. thing. You only, I mean, any mathematician will be able to tell you if you add, you know, even 5% on top of a result every time, you like, you turn around after 10 days of doing that, you're like, bloody hell. Mm. If I'd done the same thing 
every day, yeah. I'd still be about there. Yeah, exactly. Here I am. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't, it really doesn't take much. And I've certainly found that. I, yeah. I've had the, it's fascinating. I've had a similar experience. And I, I definitely found it previously in my running career. Mm. When I, you know, would push a little, oh, okay, five minutes, 15, a kilometre. Let's try and get that to 510. Let's go a little, let's try mm. and get it under five. Let's try and get it under 445. I'm going to run this marathon. I want to run it like this pace, you know. <laughs> Just pushing that little harder, pushing that little harder. And suddenly, like, after a couple of weeks, you're like, oh, here I am. Yeah. This is now Still comfortable. Standing. <laughs> this is now comfortable. Before, like, a week, a month ago, this would have left me on the floor. Yeah. But here yeah. I am. And this yeah. is this is comfortable. And, and you find those little, those little reward loops. If you mm. set them up in a positive direction, you know, it's it's really beneficial, and that it, that it does transfer throughout your day. That's the wildest part: is that outside of 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 the running track or outside of the gym, that there or outside of the yoga studio, wherever it is that you do it, it's there. Yeah, that your brain has that pattern now. Tell me yeah. about tell me about the discipline and and how that changed for you. Um, well, you know, as a as a muso, you like I've always had a good work ethic as far as. You know, I've been doing it for 15 years now. I've done over 10 albums and, and I've done, you know, probably 20 tours. And, and uh, I've, I've, I haven't really, I was chatting to Jules about this. We were like, we, we haven't done the big Europe thing, you know, the trip. Or we haven't, like, Jules and I, I finished school. I did medical radiation at uni and then that was the thing I quit. And then I went from uni literally to doing those demos, handing it in, didn't work. Idle, bang, worked for 15 years. I've, I've had the odd holiday here and there, but never for longer than sort of a week or so, you know, like I've never really taken longer than a week off, um, maybe until the Christmas just gone. And, and so it, I'm in this pattern of, of I had this general work ethic, um, but a, a very often I would find myself working and working without much of an outcome or I'd have, you know, it's so many unfinished demos of stuff that should be finished because, you know, potentially these are great songs or, you know, and, and great ideas, but I move on and my kind of, you know, I procrastinate. And um, so my work wasn't necessarily focused and, um, you know, suddenly I, you know, then the training starts and, and it's, you can't be more focused than, than, you know, having this, like literally the, every morning, every day I trained for 12 weeks, every single day. And um, it, it was so focused and it was so planned. And for me, I saw the results of that. And, and so that started to translate into my work. So I, I that discipline I started to take into songwriting. So I, I, uh, I identified the things that, stop my progress when I'm songwriting. So what, what's one of the main things? Well, I rely on producing a demo to procrastinate because I'll start fiddling with samples and going through all these sounds and starting to, you know, put together a track for the song I've just written. Now, am I going to use that track? A lot of the times I don't. It's just the demo. I'm probably going to get a producer to do it later anyway or I'm going to go into a studio and record it properly with proper piano and all this sort of stuff but I waste this time and I'll spend days making this demo that I never ever really use and it's just because I know the hardest thing about writing a song is lyrics you know like that's the thing that requires the most thought process and then it's I've got to labor on that the most melody I can sing melodies for days so on my phone there's a like 
thousands and thousands of voice notes of melodies. Um, but then I don't bother finishing the lyrics. So I, I stopped producing tracks and I just would, the demo that I have now is a voice note of the song and then I move on to another song. So I think that's why in just the last few months I've written almost a whole album and my last one took two and a half years and I still wasn't happy about, happy with it. Whereas now I feel like I'm writing the best songs I've ever written and it's just because I've I've been disciplined enough to identify what are the what the things are that stall my progress and um, but yeah look the discipline thing as you know it was hard like when I first met with this trainer he said mate we're going to tr- aim for four to five days a week and I laughed I, la- I literally laughed I was at his house I said mate there's no way I thought you were going to say two or three like uh, four or five days a week I, there's no way I can do that you know with my schedule I started to make all these excuses and I ended up training every day for the whole 12 weeks. And if I missed a day, I'd work out twice the next day. Literally over that time, I wouldn't have missed one day of training. And I had this goal in in mind that I had to do this men's health shoot. And so I I don't know, I just, it was so focused and so disciplined. And it, it just, yeah, it was insane the results I got. And people would look at me and be like, what? (laughs) <laughs> are you doing what is like what schedule are you on this is insane it was it worked so when you were i because there's a lot of people listening i'm sure they're not you know 10 albums in mm. but they are people who have a, a process they are the people that are procrastinating you were able to identify oh i'm spending all these hours and hours thinking i'm doing work yeah i'm thinking oh look how busy i am yeah look yeah. i can't talk can't do with the kids i'm busy yeah i'm yeah. just gotta get this Ministry, tone right you know? kick drum sounds i've got to find the right kick drum before i can move on yeah. gotta go gotta go gotta track one <laughs> kick drum gotta go gotta go hours yeah honestly that is actually <laughs> what happens and i sit in with studios and like i'll sit in la same thing and and you know someone's like they're super high and they're like going through their kick drums. They're like, oh, this kick drum is so fat, man. This is so fat. And I'll cycle through a thousand kick drums. And you're right. You're just wasting time. It's a thousand dollars now, buddy. Yeah, find, exactly. find one. <laughs> yes. Let's go. Anyone will do anything that's, you know, yeah. in that frequency range will work. <laughs> but but uh, so, so just to, for people to kind of maybe, you know, get a learning out of this is that you identified, ah, I'm actually not going to use this in the end. Mm. What can I use my time? How can I use my time better? Where's the mm. point where I hand this over normally? Yeah. This is the raw material I used to hand this over. I'll stop there. Yeah. And then yeah. I'll spend the time instead doing the thing that I'm afraid of doing, which is writing lyrics. Exactly. Yeah. Because well, it's it's and it's also the realization that I'm only doing this because I enjoy this part. This is like playing the Xbox for me. Like I, I'm, I love putting tracks together and going through my sounds and blah, blah, blah. That's the part I enjoy. So my default is to the part that's easy on my brain and, and it's me bailing. I'm bailing. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's just identifying what stalls your progress. And, and I did that, I guess, with my songwriting. And I've literally, I went through and I've got, I think I've got nine songs. I've probably only written 16 all up, which is a mind-blowing, you know, sort of... People might not understand. For an album to have 10 tracks, you might be writing 50 or 60. Yeah, easily. yeah at least, at yeah. least. And and so my strike rate's gotten better. 
you know, everything's mm. sort of lined up. But it, it's, it's so. Fun. Hang on, how do you how do you get yourself to do the thing that you're uncomfortable? How do you get yourself to do the lyric part, which you're like, mm, oh, I'm going to do everything, but yeah, discipline. That's it. Just going. Uh, but but it's that realization, and that's the thing. People don't. They just don't think about it. You don't analyze what you're doing. So you you, you think you're being productive, but you're not. And, and and so I think it's important every now and then to just sit back and um, reflect on, you know, it might be training. You might be thinking, well, what is it? Why don't, why don't I have, why can't I get rid of that, that, that lower flab or whatever? Like what, or, or why, you know, why don't I have, why can't I push past this barrier and I can't get the size that I want or I can't get, I can't get lean or whatever. And People generally know the answer already in in their mind. They know they're not doing enough cardio, or they know they know they skip leg day, or skip you know skip whatever parts are uncomfortable. And and I think it's really just taking. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Time to analyze what are the bits that I hate and what are the bits I avoid? Why, like, Obviously, they're the, they're important. I know they're important, and I still avoid them. So, I'm just going to try and not avoid them. And it's 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 when you're at your most uncomfortable, I think that you see the most breakthroughs. You see the most growth. Oh, absolutely. How do you so? How do you approach doing the things that you're uncomfortable with? Um, like, how do I actually? Yeah, because like like I said, like people listening will definitely be relayed. They're on board right now. They're like, mm. oh, there's so many things in my life that I'm avoiding. I'm avoiding doing my tax. I'm avoiding yeah. getting uniforms together for this week. I'm avoiding doing this three loads of laundry. Yeah. Whatever it is that's happening in your life, there's yeah. something like, oh, I'm going to do something else. So I feel like I'm busy, but I'm avoiding the thing that I should be, that I know. Yeah. As you said, you know the answer. Yeah. How do you set yourself up? To, to start those. Like I'll give you an example. Like mm-hmm. um, it was a trick I learned years ago with my with my fitness was is when I was about 18, I was still, I was about over 110 kilos, right? I was like, I'm, I should really go for a walk. But my brain was like, no, 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 no. It's like, I'm just going to go check the mail. So I yeah. walked from my front door to the mailbox. I kept walking. Yeah. I ended up walking around the block. It was yeah. 600 meters, all right? Yeah. 600 meters was the longest I'd walked in a long time. Yeah. Got the mail from the mailbox on the way back up to my front door. So got the mail. Yeah. Tricked my brain. I tricked my brain into getting myself to keep going. Yeah. You know? So that, that was how I did it. So how do you do it? Well, yeah, and as you said, like it is different for everyone. So I, uh, I am not great with structure. So, again, I analysed 
myself and I'm like, well, I'm not, I don't have a lot of structure in my life and I don't have a lot of structure in my processes with how I do things creatively, especially. Um, so I introduced structure. And, and I think that the general rule of thumb is, is there, it's what I said, like about being uncomfortable. We, it's those things that you don't want to do. So try and develop a bit of structure to getting those things done. As you said, it might be the laundry. Well, set aside a certain time in the morning or whatever, whatever it is, like set aside a, a little bit of time where you put an alarm on your phone and you put a reminder on and you, you force yourself to just do it. And, and I think it's easier said than done, but the, the thing you always realize and everyone comes to this realization is that it's not as big as you thought it was. It was way bigger in your head. That task was way bigger in your head. And, um, and also I think you have to reward yourself as well. So, you know, with, with, what I do, if, if I say to myself, well, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And at the end, I'm going to go for nine holes of golf or at the end, I'm going to play the, you know, call of duty for a little while and turn my brain off or, um, you know, with the training, same thing. Like you ha I, I have gotten really good at, at rewarding myself by just relaxing a little bit. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not training for a shoot or anything right now. So, go and have some yum cha with my family and like reward yourself. Cause I did it that week, but don't reward yourself if you didn't do it. You know, like it's, it's, it's really simple. I, I think people are always looking for those easy processes. And the simple answer is it's just not easy. You just have to do it. You just have to, it's, there's no easy answer to it. There's no, process except for just doing it because you will realize it's not as hard as you thought it was and it's not as bad as you thought it was everyone that i speak to always comes to that realization that's some extraordinary knowledge that you've just imparted and it, as you mentioned it i was just thinking we think we're smart we think we're incredible the guy that drives us electric cars is sending his electric car to mars how fucking <laughs> yeah. clever are we we're lab rats yeah Push the thing, the light goes on, the treat comes out. Yeah. Push the thing, the light Seriously. goes on, the treat comes out. Push the thing, the light goes on, no treat. Push the thing, push the thing, push the thing, push the thing. Yeah. You know, we're lab rats. Oh, we absolutely. really are. We, we are that simple. And all we need to do is realize that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like you mentioned, what's the task? What's the, what's the completion of the task? Yeah. What's the reward? Exactly. Just do those three things. Yeah. Shit gets done. Exactly. <laughs> and it's not that hard. It really isn't. It's, it's yeah, I think we do overcomplicate over it. And it's funny because people will read, like I've seen my wife do it. Like want, they want to achieve something. So they'll, they'll read three books about how to achieve it when really they kind of know how to achieve it already. But they, uh, people, are, people will spend more time on the quest of how to do something when deep down they know they just got to do it. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. It's cycling through the kick drum sounds. Reading self-help yeah, books and not is. doing the work no. is cycling through the kick drum sounds. But convincing yourself that you are doing the work. Yeah, yeah. So, I, oh, yeah. I found that, I found that in, in sobriety, I found that there's a big difference between not drinking hmm. and being sober. Yeah. Like not drinking is holding on with my fingernails digging into the table through a dinner party with my grit tooth, just down, trying to get down, by down. without drinking alcohol. Yeah. Doing the work, which was figuring out 
why I would need to alcohol to get through a dinner party yeah. was the tricky and hard part. But once I got that done, I'm not drinking easy. Yeah. Easy. You just got to get, you got to get, get the work done. Now yeah. tell me, now you've got this discipline around your process. Mm-hmm. What are the lyrics like? Are you happy with the creativity that you're coming out with? Yeah, absolutely. It's not big in my head anymore. I'm, I'm out the other side now and I've got processes in place. So, um, And also I know when I'm stuck, sometimes it's not necessarily because I'm being lazy. Sometimes as in the creative world, it is a little bit different. Like sometimes it's not like doing laundry, you know. Um, laundry is going to get done by doing it. Sometimes in the creative world... It's not that simple. So, so I've, I've also taught myself the process of walking away and, you know, coming back to it. But, but, uh, but yeah, look, it's so much better. I, I, um, I, I just feel like it, I, I, I'm not, it, it's not such a big task and I'm not so insecure about it. And I don't spend the time looking for reasons to not write. Like, you know, one of them being there's so many other people that are better lyricists than me and they're so much po- more poetic than me and have such a larger vocab than me and, and um, I, I spend my time now reading and you know reading some poetry for, for inspiration or looking at certain ways certain songwriters say things and, and um, yeah it's so much it's so much simpler for me now I'm not, not as not as overcome by the task well, I love that that you've you've identified you know it's interesting you, in this conversation you've mentioned there's the pattern that other people are better. Other, it's like that's the same. Those guys are fitter. Those guys have mm. the look. It's like, okay, that's just a thought. What can I do about it? What control can I have? Yeah. I can lift the weight for my poeticism. Uh, the lifting the weight is absorbing other poetry, seeing how it works, seeing the rhythms of it, seeing the syllables, seeing how the words craft together, absorbing it, absorbing it, absorbing it. Finding inspiration there—that's basically doing the squats mm. for your <laughs> poetry yeah. brain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then when it comes out, you're like, ah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. There's the result. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I, I think that's a big part of it. Is is placing that expectation on yourself as well? It's it's very hard because I I I, th- I see I see it in in my own life. I see it in my wife's life you know there, there's that comparison thing can be quite crippling and you know you can go to certain events or certain things or read books or you know whether it be a self-help thing and or go to a seminar and and um you know or, or be on insta and see what people achieve and and think well, what am i doing with my life or think you know i'll never get i'll never do that and you know we forget that a lot of these people were at the same point they and it became about small victories and um yeah i don't know i think comparing yourself is incredibly detrimental i think you just yeah small victories is is the biggest key and you can't compare your insides to another person's outsides no yeah exactly right that's really it that's really really it and like if you want to feel bad about yourself go and follow a whole bunch of Fitspo models on Instagram and do nothing but look at that for three hours a day, yeah. you will want to eat pie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and those people are insecure. Like yeah, those, that's everyone, the thing that people don't understand. Everyone has. I know a lot of these people and, and you know, I've I've met so many people in my life that you, you would be shocked are uh, uh, super insecure the, from – 
the people who are the most famous, the most beautiful people in the world, and they have same fears, you know, the same feelings of insignificance. And, and uh, every time they post something, they're, they're shaking, thinking, what are people going to say? And, you know, no one's got it together. We all, I definitely don't have it together. I've, I said to you as I walked in, I need to get back to, you know, training how I was before because it only takes a little bit to get back in the mindset of, of you know, Ah, oh, this is you know it's it's becoming bigger and bigger in my head again. So I need to make it smaller again. And, and uh, you know, I I just think it's about, of course, trying to stay disciplined, but also going easy on yourself, rewarding yourself every now and then, and realizing we're all human and we we just need to take baby baby steps, small victories. Well, that's that's what any achievement is made up of. Mm. I've heard it said. Um, that a number one single is a hundred thousand right decisions. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's a hundred thousand right decisions. Yeah, that's what it takes to be like a US number one, Billboard number one. Yeah, like you could have gotten wrong at ninety seven thousand six hundred and fifty. Yeah, like gone to the you know wrong event, been on the wrong day. You know, you just oh, you went to the right event. You know, you were Mariah Carey at that party, and Tommy Mottola was there. Oh, exactly. You know, yes. Yeah. That's how that stuff happens. It's, yeah. it's just sometimes if it's in, in your control, sometimes it's serendipity. But Absolutely. it all is. It's just in the tiny micron level movement. As long as the control we have is pushing ourselves in that direction constantly. Yeah. It might not be a leap that day. It might just be one foot in front of the other. It might be a toes distance from yeah. where you were yesterday. But as long as you're constantly applying yourself in that direction, you should be all right. Yeah. You'll turn around and realize you're in a different place. Yeah, exactly. And that and that, that's really the thing. So with this discipline, and I'm, I'm loving, I'm vibing off how, you know, how into this you are, man. Tell me about how you've, Obviously, you've been on tour. You said 22 tours, you said? 20, yeah, I'm yeah. sure it's 20. That's a lot. People yeah. may not understand how difficult it is to find that many musicians who are free for that amount of time, mm. line up that many venues, you know, line up merchandise, T-shirts, promo. You know, how do you get 11 people from this place to that place, have them in their hotel rooms, you know, get cars? It's, yeah. a, it's a colossal, colossal effort. Tell me what getting ready for this tour that you're going on in a couple of days. Tell me how getting ready for this tour has been different uh, on a on a musical level, you know, because ultimately that's what people are paying to see. That's the product yeah. people are paying to see, the hour and a half that you're on stage. Yeah, well, definitely the most nervous I ever get is just before a tour. I, I, I don't know why because I, I would have thought that would have got easier, but, but uh, as recent as my last tour, I had the exact same feeling as when I went on my first tour, just that that nervous kind of, what are people going to think of like of, of this show? Like, are, are they going to are they going to vibe? How's it going to run? Is it going to, you know, you sort of run your show and then you think, is is there going to be lull moments where people switch off? And so there's all these thoughts going through my head, and it isn't until the first or second show that I relax. And when I say relax, like once I know it's a good show, I am probably too chilled like I'll, I'll i'll get ready at my hotel like and just lob up five minutes before stage like i'll warm up you know in the car on the way there or something like i'm super chilled but before that i am insanely nervous and and um i think it's a good thing because it makes me really scrutinize the show um as you said it is tough it's really hard putting a tour together especially in australia you know like it's 
But tyranny of distance, man. Like you, you could you, to mention not going around Europe. You could go around Europe five times oh, by the time you're done with an Australian tour. I mean, you th- like even doing the North Queensland or something run. Like you're going. People think, oh, you're going from Mackay to Townsville or something. That, like that's a long way. In, so it's a five-hour drive. Yeah, yeah, when you're talking, you know, like comparing comparing to US or comparing to to Europe or whatever, and and it's. You know, some of the – it's sort of investing into your show as well. I just had a conversation with a, an artist that flicked me some tour dates recently and said, this is my first sort of solo tour. What do you think? And my advice to this person was don't see this as a as a money-making venture. Like I, I toured for 10 years before I saw my first profit and beyond that I was either – just barely scraping through or losing money. I mean, I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars on tours before, but I set a precedent that I invest into my shows. I just don't take just to say a, a DJ or something and try and make it a money-making venture. I, I want people to look at that and compare it to international shows that have way bigger budgets that are doing a hundred something shows on their world tour and go, yeah, we've got great quality acts in Australia. And, and so I've always taken band members i've always taken you know lighting and production and and sound even you know i don't use house sound i'll use sort of you know um custom you know audio equipment and stuff that's that i know is going to maintain quality throughout the tour and i think it's those little things and when you invest in your show people come back and eventually um eventually it'll be profitable and it'll be something that you know because you've set a precedent like why is pink so huge like she, she's such a massive act in Australia, way, way more than she is even, even in the US. She doesn't tour in the same capacity as she does here. But Pink is huge because people went to that first show she did and she was up in the ribbons doing acrobats and like it, it was such a great quality show. So word spread and people said, you've got to go see Pink live. She's amazing live. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think that's one of the biggest thing that I, uh, things that I tell people who are touring for the first time don't see this as you know i want to clean up and make money on on tour invest into your fans invest into your craft and try and try and get these songs on stage framed in a live setting the best you can when you are on tour uh having been on tour a few times myself it can be pretty tempting to fall into the it's an away game, away from home. I uh, have a few beers after the show. <laughs> you know, the flight's not until one. I can check out late. Yeah. You know, ah, uh, yeah, I'll eat a room service thing at two in the morning, you know, and just generally let yourself, you know, after a, uh, I remember because we, when we did Idol, we would do these audition tours and we'd be away for six or seven weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, three and a half weeks in, I was a wreck. Yeah. Because you know, I'd yeah. just been subsiding on, on, on mini bar cashers and beer. Yeah. Know, hiding in a hotel room being weird. How do you maintain a, you know, a discipline around? Because let's not forget, people love you and you came into Australia's heart because you have an extraordinary voice physically. Physically, the inside of your body from your nostrils down to about your clavicle is very different to other people and your yeah. ability to control it and, and make it do things that other people can't do is what sets you apart from, from a lot of other people vocally. Yeah. So that's a, that's a very complicated amount of muscle, musculature and, and, and things to, to take care of. Yeah. yeah. Have you found in the past that it was difficult to do that and how do you deal with it now? 
Um, yeah, you learn as you go. You you realise, you know, and, and I've had moments where I probably did too many in a row. You know, I've done five or six in, shows in a row and I lose my voice by the fourth or fifth show. And and I, I think it's about pacing yourself. But And, and I'm extremely boring, at, like, on the road. I am... I don't drink until the last show and I don't, you know, I, I just, I really, I'd go to bed as, as soon as I can after the show. I'll, I'll, it generally takes a while to, for me to go to sleep, but I'll, I'll just force myself. And um, it's about sleeping as much as I can, trying to get my voice back. Uh, it's just, it's back to that discipline because I, I think the worst feeling professionally that I've ever had is I was in this town called Casino. It was one of my first tours in New South Wales and I, I I literally completely lost my voice. It wasn't too long after Idol was one of my first tours and I literally couldn't do the show. That was the first time ever and prob- and the only time I've ever really can- like cancelled a show because and I didn't cancel. I still I still thought I could do it. So I had a, a doctor come and visit me and pump like inject me full of steroids and like I I was pumping vitamin B shots and like doing taking all this stuff and making garlic and gin, like ginger you know drinks and stuff and and it didn't work. I got on stage and I couldn't couldn't sing and Pauline actually was my she was my um, support act and uh, do you remember Peter the pig farmer yeah he lived not too far from there so he came on stage and he helped me out and like we had this jam session I ended up playing drums for half the gig and it was I like I walked away off stage afterwards like in tears because I felt like I had just ripped everyone off so bad because they didn't get the best of me and so my goal is that every single person who've purchased a ticket they deserve the best of me the best of what i do so the only way i can do that is to look after myself so i've just there's stories i want you to tell me that i I, okay so i'll limit it to two to two questions um tell me a eurovision story ah wow um (laughs) (laughs) you um because you, you went was... as Australia's Mao Boy, just Mao Boy was there this year. You yeah. went as Australia's entrant, which is fucking the coolest thing ever. Because oh, I think you're personally, I think Eurovision is the greatest thing. It was... It's the greatest television thing ever. It's the yeah. Olympics of television every year. <laughs> and if you don't like Eurovision, I don't know if we could be friends. Hey, look, it was the most fun gig I've ever done in my life. As far as a singular gig, that was hands down the most fun thing I've ever done. A lot of pressure. Um, I think they they really drum up the pressure because there's so many run-throughs and rehearsals and stuff that that it I don't know it just makes it such a ginormous thing in your mind and um, 200 million people or something watch it so it's a high pressure gig um, I I I partied a lot during that time you know once I once I finished my performance it was just. Eurovision, you go there and you party. Like it's a really fun time and the parties are super positive and like it I mean it's you think about Eurovision, it's a continent which has had such a history of, of conflict and, and um, you know, territory, you know, conflict and all sorts of wars and they come together and countries that are generally you know, they generally hate each other, come together and there's such a unity there and everyone's, it's so camp and beautiful and fun and I just loved it. I loved it. It was the most fun gig I've ever done, like ever. But singular story, I can't even think of one. It was just... 
It was in Vienna. My year, I, I absolutely just had a ball. Had a ball. Yeah. Okay, so tell me then, what did you? I could, I, I could spend honestly, I could spend an hour and a half asking you about the next topic, but I'll limit it to one question. <laughs> yeah. What did you learn from touring with uh, the Booker T and the MGs? Show? Oh. Well, that was a, a turnaround in my life. So that was pretty low. I was at a fairly low point in my career, and. Uh, for people who don't, for people who don't know, can you can you basically ex- explain who who this band is and, and well, why it was important that you toured with them? Yeah, well, I, I um, so that's an example of losing money on tour, but it being an investment into my career. So I, I, I grew up on Stax Soul. Um, I liked Motown, but there was something gritty about. Stax music. I'm more a Stax guy. Yeah, just yeah. had this kind of, you know, when STAX, Google that, you'll figure it out. Yeah, Stax, Stax, you know, in, in, in Memphis, there was sort of a, there was Sun Studios and there was the Stax, you know, guys as well. And, and, and the house band was basically Booker T and the MGs. And so they would get people like Otis Redding through, you know, Sam and Dave, Wilson Pickett, all of these guys would come through and record with this band. You know, Muscle Shoals were, were the other guys that used to, you know, they did a lot of the Motown stuff and a lot of the more polished stuff. But the Stax band were, they just had this thing, Donald Duck done on bass, they had just very simple but super melodic lines and, and, uh, you know, the Memphis horns, just such a grit to it. They didn't have the budget that Motown did or the polish, but it had this soul to it. And, you know, you look at Memphis from Aretha to so many other people who grew up in that in that area, it, I, I, it just taught me a lot about how to perform. Otis Redding, Sam Cooke, they were my heroes growing up. And so um, I always wanted to do something along those lines but I never in a million years thought I would actually record with that band and um, yeah I mentioned I was at a low point in my career I I released a bunch of stuff it didn't work there was talks I was going to get dropped um, from the label and and, um, it was kind of a it's almost unthinkable that yeah, you yeah. get dropped. Oh, but, so I but, can only imagine how tough it was behind the scenes that that was on the on the cards. Well, it was just nothing was working like I tried a bunch of stuff and it just wasn't working and um you know, I, there was talks about doing this covers album, and it, and um, it, it was this ballads thing, and and I love ballads, but this one was like, it was super cheesy. It was Guy Sebastian ballads, yeah. the perfect Mother's Day gift. Honestly, and it was that. It was, it yeah. was geared towards that. There was Peter oh, Satira yeah, and like Barbara Streisand. People was on the list. All these songs, and I wasn't. They weren't even songs that I kind of – I love ballads, but they're usually like soul R&B ballads or, or yeah. just, you know, or old school like Chicago or something. Or, but it, they, these were just things that was – I don't know. I, I, had, I said like I'd, I'd rather quit than do this. Like I don't want to do it and I'd rather be dropped. I'd rather quit. Um, and if I'm going to do a covers album, it has to be what I, what I feel like I want to do. And so – you know, the idea was thrown around. It originally, um, I, I, it originally came from actually my agent, Tony Grace. He had just been to Memphis and he knows how much I love that music. And he originally was talking about it's like a Sun Studios type vibe where it was Elvis and it was more of a rock soul thing. And I was like, oh, dude, if I'm doing anything Memphis, 
it has to be soul. Like the stacks was just insane. And then um, my manager at the time, Titus, ran with the idea as well. And and uh, then yeah, then it just came to came about. And Dennis, you know, like you, you take that to your record label. Dennis is the boss of Sony Music. Dennis they they call him the Don because oh, he's, yeah. he's the godfather. Thirty something years, he's the been godfather of the music industry. He really is. Yeah, but. Uh, to be honest, I went in there thinking Dennis is not going to – it's not Motown. It's not super pop. A lot of this is kind of the lesser known of the soul stuff, you know. it's uh, Dennis just loved the idea and just championed it from the start. And, you know, that that's that's not me sucking up to my to the CEO of my label because, like, I don't need to. We've been through so much together. He, he has never once said, no, you have to do this to me. Not once in my career, which I'm really grateful for. And he, yeah, he he kind of greenlighted the whole thing. I went to Memphis. We recorded this album like it was done back in the day to to analog tape. One take. Like uh, I reckon 85% of the album was one take. There might have been one or two songs where, you know, Dark or someone wasn't happy or, or um, whatever, but I had to be on my A game because like the way music's recorded nowadays, no one's doing one take. Like yeah, they'll do... A hundred takes and comp little words, you know, I like this word from that take and I like this little note from that take and this from that take and um, it'll be like a, a jigsaw puzzle, you know, when you look at a vocal take. But this I had to nail from top to bottom in a performance, you know, and I had the horns playing here. We all recorded in the same room. It was mind-blowing. The gear we used because I'm just a total gear slut and so it's – we were using old compressors and like microphones, like vintage Big vacuum gear. tubes everywhere. Oh, it was like, I mean, I, I have a lot of that gear that I've collected over the years, and and but some of this stuff is like, you know, we're talking thirty thousand dollar compressors, and, wow. and like it, it was insane. And so we ended up with the Memphis album, and it it sold really well for me. And then I wanted to tour it, so I flew the guys out. You know, we opened the show with a warm up show at the bridge hotel in balmain and it's it's a small gritty little hotel and just such a great venue to play in you know when the band got up there they were almost 70 years old these legends people filed in it was packed you know sold out and and people were standing out the front just to hear these guys play um you know Donald, you know, couldn't get up on stage. I remember my tour manager and myself just pushing him by by his by his butt, you know, getting him on stage. And um, he's like, thank you. And then gets his bass around and then just starts playing. And it was like, you're talking Steve Cropper on guitar who wrote Midnight Hour, you know, Dock of the Bay, um, so, Knock on Wood, so many other songs that have shaped, you know, soul music. And they're on stage with me. And so the thing that originally was something that I thought was going to be the end of my career, some sort of covers cheesy ballad album. It ended up being the critically most acclaimed thing I ever did because here were these guys doing interviews with some of the most music, you know, the, the kind of the most critical journalists that had been of my career. And I, there was a lot of people that were quite critical of me due to being a reality TV winner. Yeah, they didn't like us very much. They didn't no, like the fact no. that we were successful selling records and getting people to buy tickets. We, we, yeah. They did not like that we'd bucked the system. Oh, no. At all. No, no, no. It, it was a, they still don't. No, no, no. It's it's still a, a weird landscape. But um, 
But, you know, like that that thing turned my career around. And, and like I said, I lost a, month, a lot of money on tour because I had to fly these guys from, you know, from Memphis, Nashville, everywhere um, in the US and and they weren't cheap. And, you know, it, it, it was expensive. I lost a lot of money, but it turned my life around and it was such a worthwhile investment. And we're talking shows were sold out. You know, I had Barnsley jump on stage because he wanted so bad to sing with these guys. And um, obviously Barnsley did a soul album back in the day, you know, and and we, we got up on stage at the state theater and sung. um, I think we sung when something is wrong with my baby. And um, yeah, it was killer. It was such a moment. And, and, um, but those guys were in the interviews. They were, they were vouching for you. They kept saying, you know, like this, this dude could sing, you know, because I think it it was all one take. They didn't really expect that. So um, they were very, you know, like they spoke very highly of me to all these guys and it was almost like some of these journalists were going, are we talking about the same guy? Well, I hate this guy. Like, <laughs> And there's one in particular, one or two in particular, that hated me. Absolute, just they used to write some of the most nastiest things about me, a lot of stuff that just completely wasn't true as well and complete backflip, like just 180 from that point just super like positive about everything i did and um yeah it was a big turnaround um mate i'm i'm grateful that it came though it came from you saying no yeah. it came from you having a healthy boundary it came from you going mm. i would rather not do this thing that i love with all of my heart than do that yeah uh, that's how much I want to stay true to what I believe. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, look, like I said, it, I love ballads. I will eventually, I am dying to do uh, ballads type. It will probably be a lot of originals, but, but um, you know, my next album is very ballad heavy. Like it's kind of more Sam Smithy in, in its approach and much more organic and, and uh I just, I'd love belting out a ballad, but I mean, we were talking Barbara Streisand and things. It just, it would have buried me. Yeah. <laughs> You're in your mid 20s. Like, yeah, it exactly. not, doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. Like, give me 30 years, boys. Yeah. yeah maybe I'll then. Soon, yeah. Maybe then yeah. when I could do a duet with an old lady who used to be called Lady Gaga. Exactly <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> maybe so. When, when people, and, you know, anyone in the public eye, uh, you know, you are out there. People are not always going to say nice things. Mm. As you mentioned earlier, in your career, people have, you know, commented on your appearance quite a bit and they've commented about, you know, the validity of your uh, right to Mm. call yourself a recording artist, to call yourself a a touring artist, to call yourself a, um, you know, somebody that sells records, um, you know, but honestly, look in the words of our friend uh, Grassy, our Shannon Noel. Yeah, people vote with their wallets, mate. <laughs> yeah. I don't care what they say about me. Um, that's his approach. What's your approach? Has your approach changed when it comes to uh, criticism uh, in the public eye? Particularly now that you know we open ourselves out to criticism. Every time we post something on Instagram, there's always mm. someone that's going to say, <laughs> um, "Criticism's always hard." It is. It's. Um, I think. Anyone that says it's water off a duck's back is lying. Um, I, I think. Uh, I think when you read things, or you know, like it, it frames your, it, it frames your mindset 
and can do so for the whole day or even longer. And so you might read something about yourself or listen to some words in the morning about yourself and then that's, you react based on what that's done to you, you know. And, and I think it's hard to brush sometimes, but, but what, what's always stuck for me is I always refer to this example on social media where I, I addressed this person who was just saying some really nasty stuff about me and I went back to him and said, whatever it was, you don't know me or blah, 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 blah. Right. And I had a fan write to me and said, oh, I swear I've probably written, you know, a thousand messages to you over the last few years and um, all of them saying how much I love you and blah, blah, blah. And it just broke my heart because, like, you've never responded to me yet this guy says one thing that's like vile about you and gets your energy. And, and I literally, I was reading my computer and I started to tear up because I just felt so awful. And, and she was completely right. Like we decide what we focus our energy on. And sometimes we neglect the people who are for us in favor of the very small percentage of people who are against us. And, and um, I think I just learned a, a lesson that, you know, if if I'm going to pour my energy into anything, like make it about the people who, who support me and who are for me. And um, overall, I have to say I've been extremely fortunate. I, I don't really have enemies in, in media. I appreciate the media for every. I wouldn't have a career without them because I wouldn't be able to flog stuff. I wouldn't be able to promote stuff. And um, my life has benefited hugely. So if someone writes something, it is what it is. That's their job, you know, and, and sometimes I probably, I probably deserve it or, or, or um, you know, like I, as long as it's within some level of respect or whatever, it's fine. I, I, um, I think those, I think journos get called out. You know, we've spoken about some things that were said about you in the past, which was called out and it, it was, it was absolutely disgusting and vile and, um, but like I said, as much as we think it's water off a duck's back, it never is. And so we just need to train ourselves to just concentrate on the positive. There's so many people in our lives that are beautiful that, that you didn't text that day, you know. So if, I just try and remind myself, if someone says something, think about the, someone who I haven't reached out to or think about a fan or someone who, who deserves my energy. And, you know, if one day every week I go through the messages now and um, with my new management, we we – um, we'd record videos and messages saying thanks and, and little requests like, you know, someone's getting married or someone's birthday and so I'll do all these videos. And um, it's really, I don't know, it's really liberating. I'd rather do that than spend one day a week looking at the you know shitty things that people are saying about me. Not everyone is in the public eye like yourself. Not everyone is, you know, opening themselves out to here's this thing that I've created that I'm proud of. What do you think of it? You know, mm-hmm. whether it be a song or a video or, or whatever. But everyone will put a photo on Instagram. Everyone puts something on Facebook. Everyone is open to criticism through their day. Mm. People will write 10 nice comments, but then there's going to be Dicko. Yeah. Terrible yeah. look. <laughs> I feel bad because I love Dicko. It's okay. <laughs> I love him with all my heart. Oh, man, changed my life. Yeah. I love him with all my heart. But, you know, everyone can relate to it's that one yeah, because even Dicko said a lot of positives, but I held on to that one little. And he was right. <laughs> how have you how have you changed the way you look at those things now? Yeah, look, I I, I think it's just 
Yeah, they just don't have the same power as they did. You know, they, they, they. I, I, how, I how did sure. you decide they didn't have that power? How did no, I, I, no, I, I acknowledge that they can have power over me, and and so they just don't have the power over me because I just choose to not concentrate on them or look at them. So uh, I do read comments, but. If it's negative, I or if I can even see that it's negative, I kind of just brush over. But I definitely don't draw attention to it and give energy to it. So that's the difference. Where, whereas in the past, I you know might have responded, but now I you know if I do respond to a, something, it's usually just I'm taking the piss or or uh, but I'll then do four or five responses to someone positive mm. to balance it out. Yeah, not everyone. Who and we did seven seasons of Australian Idol. Mm. And we had seven people come out on top. Mm. You, you know, not everyone had the same success that that you and Shannon did. Where does self belief play a role in what's kept you going, even through the times when you know? you were going to get dropped, even through the times where you put out an album, the last album you put out, you said, indeed, you weren't mm. even happy with it. Where does self-belief play a role in keeping you going in that direction? Um, I think it's it always comes down to acknowledgement of the power that what I do um, can have like the, the, the over people. And so acknowledging that, you know, well, I'm not doing it because I want – X amount of radio spins or I'm not doing it because I want it to chart here and there, but it's realigning your brain to acknowledge that, you know, I have an effect on people with my music. So when someone writes to me on social media or writes, you know, sends me a Facebook message saying that song you wrote, it helped me through this time. And then people say it to my face. They say, Oh, you know, man, your music really got me through this or that, or even as simple as man, I love your music. So fun. Like in the morning, it just lights my day or I'll see someone singing my song in the car as it's playing on radio. And you, you just see the joy that music can bring you. There's an acknowledgement that music isn't just a bunch of notes strung together and a bunch of lyrics written down, but it literally, it, it, it moves people. It helps people. It's um, helped me out of so many things. I mean, I I also identify music with landmark moments in my life, whether it be, you know, that that you know the song that we danced to at our wedding, or or you know the song that was playing in the delivery room with my kid, or the song um, I wrote for my son. You know, like and um, it, it music. It, it's it's sort of um, it it acts as a highlight to so many moments in our lives, and and so when I have failure, which is often, it, it um it doesn't stop me. I, I I realize it's a numbers game, and that even the failures move people. So I re- I mean, on my last project, I released this song called Candle, and I thought it was one of the I thought it was one of the coolest things I've done ever and and uh i i love how i remember being in the session and when we wrote this song it, it was a very fast song to come about I, I wrote it with john hume and a friend of mine trey and when the chorus hit there's this wall of guitar and it's just fat distorted just really um it's really thick and it's a bit shocking but 
I remember when they were saying, oh, radio won't play it if there's like that much. It's pretty, it's pretty shocking. But when I, when we dumbed it down, I was like, oh, it just doesn't have the same effect on me. Like it just doesn't sound right. And anyway, so we kept it and released it. And I, I just thought, man, there's nothing that sounds like this on radio right now. Like it's going to be sick. Like they'll embrace it. No one played it. Absolutely no one played it. Um, and by that stage, it was probably three or four songs in a row that just disappeared out of the 200. No one played it. Then there were seven in a row. There were seven songs that I did that just didn't light up the charts, didn't do anything. Um, and then I released a song called Set in Stone and, and that got played and it resonated and, and um, it didn't go number one, but it still resonated. And I think it went number four or something, which is which is actually really hard to do now in the current climate. The Aussie music is in a very difficult time at the moment. There hasn't been a number one since 2015. We're in 2018 now. We haven't had an Australian number one since 2015. No, and it was Veronica's You Ruined Me was the last number one. It's extremely difficult at the moment just with streaming and radio and everything else there's a lot against um, especially pop music there's a lot there, there is a lot of opportunity weirdly for indie music so so it's it's in a, in a great way it's done a good flip where there's a lot of festivals and if you're an indie artist there's a lot of places to get your music out um funnily though as a pop act it's actually pretty difficult now because um yeah the landscape's changed but i didn't give up you know i kept going and i released a song called bloodstone and that resonated and got played a lot and had a lot of radio support and i i just keep reminding myself it's a numbers game like and that even the failures have significance and and you know i was reading an article the other day where i think the intent of the article was was a, a, a little bit of a negative skew to it but this is how i've i guess i've trained my brain now a little bit to do the opposite of what i was talking about before instead of just finding the negative bits the thing I took away from was they said my last album has received a lot of critical acclaim now. And so, um, you know, it was a bit of an experimental thing for me. It was very production focused, my last album. And I've switched from uh, Logic to Ableton. So I, the whole process of, of, of how I work changed and I was really heavily into production and, and uh, used some incredible producers as well. And so it, I took away from that. I, was, I felt like that was such a win because, like, in my mind, it didn't chart and it and it didn't sell and it wasn't like a very pop album. It was it was sort of not not really pop at all, except for some moments like Bloodstone. And um, but yeah, it, it, I I just think we just need to realize that in this industry, especially, but in the creative industry, it is a numbers game. Mm. You just keep going. You but keep the thing going. the thing that keeps you going, you were alluding to it before. It seems to be that the thing that makes you want to get up every day and write another song and not go and, you know, open, you know, I don't know, Guy Sebastian's Chicken and Waffle Restaurant or whatever, you know, yeah. to go into, you know, owning five F45s and that's it, I'm tapping out, yeah, you know, to yeah. go and, you know, yeah, I did gym, I'll go I'll open a gym, you know. Mm. The thing that keeps you going from what I, you were, I just wanted to see if I can, you know, get you to expand on it a bit more, is it, is it that you are able to bring a happiness to another person? Is that what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it's that it's that knowledge that it's deeper 
than even what I think. You know, I know music's deep. And so, um, and it's not me trying to be cheesy or trying to be Oprah or something with my music. It, it, it literally is. I mean, I've done tons of tours. I've done, I've recorded tons of songs. I still love it and I still enjoy it. But if there wasn't that element where there's an, there's a realization that there's more to it than just that, you know, I don't think I would have kept doing it, to be honest, because it, it's, it is that, it is that effect on people that really drives me. And, you know, I mentioned Oprah. I sung for Oprah like a couple of times when she was here and she talked about that exact thing, right? She, so I sung at her private rap party for her and her staff and she was dancing with her arm around me and everything like for an hour and a half. It was awesome. She had her arm around my band and like just dancing and everyone's sweaty. Like it was awesome. But then she got up and I was like, this is why Oprah is the queen. Because she said she did this speech to all of her staff and she went through all of the letters and things that people had given, had written through while they were in Australia. And it was all these letters of like, you helped me through this or you've done this for me and as a result of you being here, I've blah, blah, blah. And they did a lot of stuff and, and they helped a lot of people while they were here. And she was pointing people out in her staff and she goes, that's not my victory, that's your victory. And you might sit at your desk and think you're just doing your accounts, but you contribute to this greater purpose. And without you, we this would all fall over. You're all rungs in the ladder of us being able to climb to this platform where we can affect people. And, and I think that's sometimes it's just so true. Like what we need to find that greater purpose in what we do. And sometimes it it is literally finding purpose in doing something as small as getting a coffee and, and saying, I love that dress to someone or, or I love, oh, you know, you look so good in that hat. It just it pops your eyes or, you know, it's moments of kindness and moments in our lives where we can affect people and we can find purpose in our existence. And it just gives us drive. For me, it's, it's how music affects people for someone else listening. It, it's, you know, you've got to find it because we all have purpose in, in life and we all have a positive impact or at least the the potential to positively impact others and I think that's what keeps us all going. Man, I'm so grateful you came around today. <laughs> Thank you. We waffled, haven't we? <laughs> no, no, this isn't waffle. <laughs> Two hours. <laughs> I'm, I'm just so stoked that, that you and I have had this chance to chat. I've wanted to have you on this show for a long time but I think the, the, we waited and the moment was bloody right. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. I'll see you at the gym. That was Guy Sebastian. Man, I'm so grateful that he came around and I'm so grateful that you got a chance to hear that person because I've known that person for a long time and I'm so happy that we managed to get a conversation like that on record because he is a fantastic human and the way he looks at life is very, very, very special. You can go and see his upcoming tour. It's, it's happening in the next few days. He kicks off. Some of the, a lot of the shows are sold out, but there's still tickets around guysebastian.com. If you did like that conversation, go tag him on Instagram. Let him know. Let him know you heard him here on the show. Um, I guess I always get a kick when they, when they hear that. Um, thank you so much for listening to this show. If this is your first show, I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe to the show. Enjoy hunting through the back catalogue. By all means, start with some of the names that you know. 
But you may want to dip your toe into the water and explain some of the names you don't know. Drop me a note. Tell me what you thought. Like I said, I guarantee that you'll hear something that you need to hear each and every episode that you listen to. If you do need me through the week, send us your email at gmail.com or just join up with the Facebook group. I'm there pretty much every day. Um, thank you to Guy for being on the show today. Legend. Thank you to Hayley Van Spagna for uh, producing this show today, Andy Ma with audio production, and Anamitra, who's working with me on the videos at the moment. He's doing a cracking job. What is it? It's Sunday night. I'm going to go cook some sweet potato on my George Foreman grill. That's what I'm going to do. hope whatever you're doing is awesome. Until we speak next time, thank you so much for being here. Take care of yourself. Sleep well. And dream of beautiful things. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling hyaluronic sea serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.